and then we will spend some time uh, in the Word together. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you once again, thanking you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and then rose again on the third day. We ask, Father, that as we look into this text this morning, your Spirit would be working on our hearts, causing us to see ourself, causing us to see our sin, moving in our hearts towards repentance, that we would rely upon your Spirit And as he makes us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, we would yield to the power of the Spirit and that we would yield to your word. We're so very thankful that you sent Jesus to come and die on the cross for our sins and save us. And we just ask that as we spend this time together in your word, your Spirit would open up our hearts and open up our eyes to the truth that we may uh, live worthy of the calling with which you called us. We're so very thankful in your son's name, amen. So uh, I would say for the most part in Western civilization, up until about the 18th century, for the most part, I'm sure you can find some outliers, but schools, the intellectual elite, for the most part had the presupposition that there was a God, uh, the presupposition that God communicated to man and that it's man's desire, that man should desire to know this God and to please God. Now, this isn't necessarily Christian, but, but, but there is that presupposition of that truth of God wanting to please God and knowing that there is a God. Around the 18th century, there, there rose a new type of intellectual we may even call it a secular priesthood, that basically said it is intellectually uh, wrong, uh, it's not the right way to think, to start from the presupposition of a creator, to start from a presupposition of God's word and that he's communicated to us, but simply start from the presupposition that the mind, the human mind, can figure out reality. And if you think from Genesis to Revelation, in reading that, there is a worldview that's developed. There's a worldview that man's created in the image of God, that all of the problems that have happened happened because of sin in Genesis 3, God trying to redeem man, and, and, and this process of man uh, being right with God, and this prophecy of Jesus Christ, and all of these things that come from that framework, these people set aside, saying, those things are wrong. We're going to start with ourself, with our mind, and construct a world. They did it. They constructed a world. It's not real. It's fantasy. But they did it. And they came to the world like missionaries, like prophets. And they came with a gospel. And they said, there's something wrong, and we can fix it. The human mind can fix it. And if I can't fix it, give me a day. Just give me some time and we'll be able to fix it. The first one that did this, or at least is is recognized as doing this, is Rousseau. That's the handsome devil right there, Rousseau. He taught a lot of things, taught a lot of things, said a lot of things. By no means do I think the man is, is, uh, I think he's very intelligent. I just think he's wrong. And 
He, he may have critiqued some things that were going on in French culture when he did it, and you and I might look at it and say, yeah, I would have a similar critique, okay? But, but that doesn't mean he's right. And the advice that he gives is very foolish. And the advice that he gives, and that he did, gave, that he did give through his books and through his writings, he's now dead, um, was towards rebellion against God. This open rebellion, moving away from God, moving away from the things of God. So as we're in Proverbs 21, and we're talking about this idea of submitting to God, listening to God, not being like a fool who openly rebels, but being the wise, being a wise person who sees God, sees the attributes of God, sees the words of God, and says, okay, I'm going to submit to him. The, The fool does the opposite. No, I'm not. And this morning, we're going to start looking at a rebellious fool. And my hope this morning is that you will look at this and say, I do not want to be a rebel. I don't want to rebel. That's the worst, foolish, most insane possibility for me. I don't want you to rebel against God and his wisdom. I don't want you to. And so this morning, I'm going to plead with you. Don't leave the wisdom of God And don't leave the Lord. If you do, there are a couple things that are going to happen. I'm going to show you some of these things are going to happen. Four things are going to happen. First thing that we're going to see is going to happen is you get this really skewed view of yourself, really skewed goals. Not a good thing. Not a good thing to have a skewed view of yourself and of goals and of desires. That's bad. When you leave God's wisdom... Things get wonky. Second thing, when you leave God's wisdom, don't do it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to start making these really bad, rash decisions. That's what happens. When you leave wisdom, you're going to make foolish decisions. You're not going to think right. And when you're not thinking right, that means the decisions you make are not going to be right. Another thing, don't leave God's wisdom. Because once you leave, there is a tendency... There's a tendency that you will get trapped. Once you start, you won't stop. They're like Pringles. Sin is like Pringles. Once you eat one, they're like Oreos. Once you eat one, you eat four boxes. That's what sin's like. Once you you do it, it gets you trapped, and you get caught in this entrapment. And then lastly, don't be a rebel, because ultimately what happens is The sins that you and I commit, and when we leave God's wisdom, of course we hurt our relationship with the Lord. As believers, I I, I even imagine the Lord grieves like any parent would grieve over a child that goes the wrong way. But the people around us also suffer. There is no such thing as, I commit a sin, and the only person I'm hurting is myself. That is not the case. Sin will always hurt other people. It always does. So I don't want you to rebel, right? So let's look at these. Let's first go to verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 21. Don't rebel, because I don't want you to have this skewed view of yourself. Notice how Solomon describes this. He says, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the the lamp of the wicked are sin. These three things are sin. Haughty eyes, proud heart, and, and the lamp of the wicked. That's sin. 
let's just take this first part, haughty eyes. The word for haughty has this idea of having a, a, a boastful view of oneself. When, when you add haughty, which is boastful, it, it, look, it says, look at my accomplishments, look at what I've done, look, look, at the, look, at, look at me, look at me. And with the eyes, the image of the eyes has this idea of an outlook. So it's this idea that a fool adopts this outlook that says, look at me, look at what I've done, look at who I am. I'm awesome. You want to know how? I exist. And, I, and the outlook is, not only do I see that of myself, but I want you to celebrate that along with me. I want you to celebrate how awesome I am. That, that's the outlook. And everything I do, everything, all my goals are to get people to admit me. You're the ultimate. You're the guy. You're the person. You're the bee's knees. That's what, that's what it is. That's the outlook. It's so selfish, so narcissist. By the way, I think this is the default position of every person born. Every person born is born with the default me. Sweet little Sophia, she's adorable. She'll walk around and wave and she'll steal your heart. But I guarantee you this she's selfish. She is. She's, she is about her. She is. She'll walk up and say, look at me. Look at me. From an early age. And trust me, I wish I could teach that type of cuteness, but I can't. She, she just naturally comes out that selfish. We all did. We all do. Even now, we're all selfish. We're all motivated by this. This is like the this is the type of problems that, that, that come into our, our minds and into our hearts, and, and we don't necessarily notice that they're there because we think we're awesome already. And so when I think of myself as being too awesome, I'm not going to say, well, that's the problem, because I already think of myself being that way. So the outlook is, look at me, look at me, look at my selfishness. And, th- and then notice the next one, a proud heart. We already talked about pride. Pride has this idea of inflation. Inflation. If, if haughty is looking at my accomplishments, arrogance is, I'm it because I don't need to give you a reason. I don't need to give you a reason of why I'm great. I exist. Think of a proud outlook. It says, I don't need anybody. I'm the greatest. I don't need any advice. I don't have to listen. I don't have to listen to God. I don't have to listen to any sound advice. I, I, I'm not a sinner. I don't have to repent. I don't need Jesus. I don't need a church. I don't need all of this. Why? Because I am the ultimate. And there has been no one like me since the creation of me. Now we get to a difficult part here in this next part of the, the parallelism. It says the lamp of the wicked. Some of your translations might say the plowing or the tillage. I'm going to be honest, I don't want to bore you with the theories of translation and why one translates tilling and one translates lamp. I'll be honest, in the English, you couldn't get two more opposite ideas, right, of one pushing a plow and a lamp. Those are, that's pretty remarkable difference. Regardless of the translation, I, I, I tend to go with lamp, but... Regardless of the translation, the idea is the same. 
if you think about somebody tilling, they have a purpose, they have a plan, and they're doing things. So the very doing is sin of a wicked person. Why? Because they're so arrogant. Everything's about them. It's not about giving glory to God. It's about them. So the very action itself is sinful. The very intention is sinful. If you think of the idea of a lamp, lamp could be used for life. So the very life is sinful. Lamp has this idea of illuminating the path in which you should go, seeing where you should go, informing which way you should go and make the next step. So in the sense, they kind of have a similar idea of going somewhere and doing something with an intention. That's the idea, going somewhere with an intention. So think of that with that interpretation in mind. The the eyes and the heart, the intentions, the life... Everything is just simply defined by Solomon as sinful. Why? Because it's so skewed. It's so skewed. Paul describes this. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes this better than we could. Ephesians 2, 1. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Notice verse 2 in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Meaning, before I knew Jesus, before you knew Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus now, never placed your faith in the person and work of Jesus, right now, this is you. You're like a zombie. You're a dead person walking. You're spiritually dead. Notice that you're just following the course of this world. You're just, follow, you're just a follower. There's this, there's this spirit that's now working in the world that's leading you away from the Lord. You're just going along with the flow. There's really, that, that's, what, that's what you are. That's what you're doing. And then notice what he says in verse 3. He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. See that? Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. You see it? That's the default of every person. That's what this looks like, right? When he says haughty eyes, heart, the, 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 light, the lamp or the tillage of the sinful, what does he mean? That's what he means. This, the, everything is geared towards pleasing myself. That's what it is. It's pleasing myself. This is a skewed skewed thing we as believers can fall into this trap pretty easily can we of leaving god's wisdom leaving the word of god leaving the safe harbor of christ and going out into the dangerous oceans and and, and losing sight of ourselves and of our savior and then all of a sudden we start thinking weird we start having weird goals think of peter remember jesus peter makes this grand statement Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this, but it was God. What a great moment for Peter. And then Jesus says, and then this is what God's going to do. I'm going to go die on the cross and be buried and rose again on the third day. And Peter then pulls Jesus aside and says, God forbid. God forbid you do exactly what God wants you to do. What was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan, for you set your eyes or your interests on human interests. You see, we all do that. 
Peter's not this outlier of like the only guy that has ever tried to rebuke God. We all do this. And we do this when our mind is not thinking of Christ. We're not thinking of his word. When we leave that, our mind starts to go crazy. And we start getting these really bad ideas. And, and, and we start to get really arrogant and really proud and really boastful in ourselves and the things that we've done. Nothing can be more opposite and rebellious to the gospel than pride. There's nothing more rebellious than that. There's nothing more rebellious than arrogance. I was thinking about it this morning. What does Peter call us? Calls us to grow in the grace and knowledge. Think of that word grace. Of course it means Christ's work and those things that we get. But by definition it means that it's unmerited. You can't grow in your understanding of what God gives you that you don't deserve but he gives you freely and then walk away from that study going, wow, I'm pretty awesome. It's mutually exclusive. You are either proud or you're humble. And you are humble when you see the gospel. You're humble when you see the Lord. I don't want you to rebel. I don't want you to get this weird type of thinking, this selfish type of thinking. I want you to stay focused on the Lord. I want you to stay focused on his word. I want you to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want us to walk away saying, praise the Lord. His mercy is incredible. Now there's more. Notice the next verse in verse 5 of uh, Proverbs chapter 21. Notice what he says. He says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. Once again, we have this proverb that deals with poverty and riches. The idea of diligence here is a wise person who's taking into consideration all the facts, taking into consideration God's wisdom, God's law, taking into consideration himself, and, and, and he's diligent, he's diligent, he's hardworking, he understands the fear of the Lord, he understands wisdom. Diligence here is not just work hard and you'll be rich. If you're lazy, you're going to be poor. That's not what Solomon's saying here. He's saying that there, there's, there's this spiritual disciplines that, that are involved here. There, there's, there's so much more under the surface and that this must be a fear of the Lord, somebody who's thinking, somebody who's planning, somebody who's serious. So the plans, the discerning plans, according to God's word, of the diligence will lead to something successful. We've seen this in the book of Proverbs. We've seen this. Wise people who, who, who act, all things being equal, remember this is principles. Normally a wise person who works hard, who's good with their money, doesn't spend it on frivolous things, seeks to honor and glorify the Lord, guess what? They accumulate wealth. That's the principle. So this is a product of, of, of a wise person. This is what we should be. We should, we should not be too quick. We should always be thoughtful. We should always be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We should always be mindful of scriptural principles when we're making plans. Right? We shouldn't be rash. 
We, we, we should care what God has to say about our life and the principles that are found there. And he deserves the first voice that we hear. He deserves that. And a wise person understands that. But if you reject God's wisdom and you reject God and you're walking away, you'll do the other. Notice the other. But everyone who is hasty, hasty, that's interesting, right? It's an interesting contrast between planning and being diligent and hastiness. You would assume, you would assume it would be lazy, right? The opposite of diligent is lazy. But this is somebody who just does without thinking. Of course, of course, we would say common sense would tell us always work smarter, not harder. But that's not what Solomon's concerned about. He's not concerned about some slogan you would put up on a work bulletin board. This, this is spiritual. This is people making decisions without thinking, without thinking about God's word, not putting God's word first and the principles there first. How is this an act of rebellion? Can you see it as any other recourse than I don't care what God has to say? If just to act without thinking about what God has to say and just doing, could that be anything other than I don't care what you have to say, Lord? You might say, well, I forgot. Is that, is that a better excuse? God, I'm distracted by a million things, and you're not one of them. Love you, though. Like, like, is that a better excuse? You understand that no matter how we try to justify acting rashly in this context, it always turns out there's a lack of love, a lack of respect for God. And that's what a fool does. And in a sense, why would somebody do that? Because they're rebelling. They're sinning. They're transgressing. Right? When you start walking away from God's word, it is easier and easier and easier to make these decisions rashly. Because I guarantee you, when you stop to think about it, you'll go, I need to repent. And I know that there may be some people who are listening to my voice who are struggling with a besetting sin. And you, you know, you know it's wrong. You have really good reasons for why you do what you do. And you make rash decisions so that you can do that sin. And you know what I'm saying when I say, if you, stop, you know that if you stop and think about that particular sin, the response will be, I have to end that sin and repent of my sin. You know exactly that's true. Because I do that every week. We do that every day. Let's not do that anymore. Let's just stop it. Let's stop being so rebellious. Let's just listen to our Heavenly Father and the principles that are found there. I'm going to stop here and just say this, just as a sidebar. Uh, I am so very thankful that we serve a God who is also very forgiving. As I look at some of this, I realize, oh man, I am a very rebellious child. And yet I am forgiven so many times every single day. Not only that, but he continues to work on me. He continues to make me more like Jesus. What is the, what is the promise? 
He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Of course we're sinning. Of course there should be repentance. Of course there's going to be failure. And as soon as, right now, and even when we leave, we're going to sin today. We're going to sin. But thank the Lord that he is forgiving and gracious and merciful. And that we can confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. That doesn't excuse the rashness of our decisions. It doesn't excuse our justification or our sin. It just means God is great and I am not. Right? That's, that's what that means. Now, there's another thing that we need to think about in this text. Is once you leave that safe harbor of God's wisdom it's easy for you to get caught in a bad current and it's really hard to get out of that current. The wisdom would be don't even start because once you start, it's bad. Now, it's easy for us to walk away, get this arrogant mindset. It's easy for us to make these rash decisions. It's easy for us to continue to justify these decisions because of the next verses. Don't even get trapped Because notice what he says. Notice in verse 6. The getting of treasure by lying tongue. We all understand that. Lying, fraud, deceit, some some sort of uh, fraudulent way of getting wealth, right? Anytime that that happens, notice what it, notice it itself is like a, a fleeting vapor. It's like trying to put fog in a bottle. You can't do it. It's like trying to chase a cloud. You can't do it. Right? It's here and then it's gone. It's here and then it's gone. By the way, this, this idea of fog and fog being here and then leaving, that illustration is a lot better everywhere else in the world other than here in Astoria. Fog stays here in Astoria. In Wyoming, you can get a 30-second fog cloud. It's a great, great example here. In a story, we don't necessarily get it. I guess, I guess we could say uh, it's like sunshine. It's gone. You see it and then it's gone. They grab it and it's gone. That's what it's like. But, but, but notice the next part, right? We kind of get this. If you fear the Lord, you're not going to lie. You realize that the Lord's going to provide for you. You're not going to, you're going to make a rash decision to lie to get treasure, but, but notice the next part, right? So it's a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. You see that? And a snare. We know what a snare is. It's a trap to catch an animal. Every snare I've ever seen involves bait. Every snare I've ever seen involves once the animal gets caught, the more he struggles to get out, the more he entraps himself. That's what a snare does. Notice, you could see the logic of Solomon, can't you? You start getting a skewed view of yourself. You leave God's wisdom. Then you start making rash decisions. Once you start making one rash decision, it's easier to make another one, easier to make another one, easier to make another one, easier to make another one. The thing that you think you're going to get is not there, so you say, well, i got to do it again to get more. And it's a snare. The author of Hebrews talks a lot about this. He talks about believers and that we should be 
As long as it's called today, be obedient. As long as it's called today, seek Christ. And he said, beware of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin itself lies to us. It itself continues to entrap us. Then you add the fact that there's part of every single one of us called the flesh that loves this type of stuff. So we already inside, already there's something inside of us that loves doing this. The action, the immediate action of it may be fun. The consequences are terrible, but we go, yeah, but I still want to do it, <laughs> right? And, 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 and the way I get out of it is to do the same thing I was doing, but just better. Notice the next verse, verse 7. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away. Same consequence, right? Same thing. You're swept away. You're carried away. You're caught. The violence, extortion, fighting, being pugnacious, not wanting to submit. This violence here, yes, is against fellow man. Yes. But it is ultimately that fist in the air towards God saying, I am the captain of my own ship. That type of violence and hatred and bitterness, you get swept away in that. Swept away. Why? Notice the next verse. Because they refuse to do what is just. You see? They refuse. They rebel. They don't want God's wisdom. And so because they reject God's wisdom and they continue to do the things that they're doing, it's easy for them to justify and be swept away. As believers, you and I can easily get swept away into sin. We can easily get swept away into violence. Oh, man. You have one political misstep by, one, by the other political party. Some of us would be willing to take up guns right now. Right? To get people to do violence isn't that hard. We can, we can get people to do violence and there's something inside of us that love to justify our actions with violence. I guess the old adage is also true. If you can't win the argument, just beat the other guy up so he can't say his. Right? There's something inside of us that gets angry and does violence. It's wrong. As believers, we should never be characterized as violent this doesn't mean that we're, that we're wimpy. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for what is right. It doesn't mean that there isn't this steadfastness. That's something different. This is belligerence. We're not supposed to be belligerent. We're supposed to have this holy stubbornness. This is what God says. That's it. I'm not moving. That's not belligerence. Belligerence is I'm right and you can't convince me any other way. And if you say anything against me, I'll punch you in the nose. Notice the next verse, verse 7. Or I'm sorry, verse 8. The way of the guilty is crooked. It's so pervasive in their life. You have to see this. It's so pervasive. They're so swept away that the entirety of their life is characterized by being twisted. By deceitfulness, not, not being on the level, not being honest, always going, what's this guy's angle? 
Not so are the wise. Notice the conduct of the pure is upright. This, this is really what a believer should look like. This is what Jesus was like. His conduct was always upright, was always righteous, was always pleasing the Father, always doing the will of the Father, always under submission to the Father. That's what it looks like. Be careful, friends. Sin is like Oreos. Once you have one, you got to eat the whole box. You can't stop. They're so good. And you could do it different ways. You can twist it and just eat the middle. But you, could, but you still eat them all. And to assume that just because I'm a believer and I, and I walked into a church, a Lewis and Clark Bible church in Astoria, Oregon this Sunday, that somehow that gives me some sort of like special cheat code to not be swept away by sin is foolish. You understand that we are constantly being bombarded and tempted. It's easy for any one of us to step out of this building and be swept away into unspeakable sin. Got to be on guard. We have to watch. That's why Paul says put on the full armor of God. Because guess what? The schemes of Satan is to tempt us away from the truth of God's word. That's what spiritual warfare is actually about. Temptation. He, want, he doesn't want us to follow the Lord. That's why Paul says be ready. Stand firm. Now you say... Okay, Caleb, let's say I do the sin, and I'm the only one that's affected by my sin. It's not true. Notice the next two verses. Also notice my pacing and timing that I cover this next verse in a very short amount of time. I'm learning wisdom. Notice this next verse. <laughs> it says, it's better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared by a quarrelsome wife. Next verse. Uh, no, I'm joking. It's funny. There was one commentator. This is what he said. This was his comment. Many men know what this means, and there's no further comment. I thought, that is a brilliant comment on this verse. No, look, it, some people say Solomon's sexist. I don't understand that. Solomon is demonstrating what happens when a person lives selfishly. And, and he uses in verse 9 an example of a woman, and then he uses it then in verse 10 the example of a man, right? So the idea is, here's an example of what happens when you're selfish. Here's what happens when you go your own way and you do your own thing. It hurts people. You think, you think you're gaining something, but you're not. So notice... Any one of us could do this. We could easily slip out. We could easily say to any wife, it's probably better for you to live, on, a, live on, the, on your roof than to live in a house with a quarrelsome husband. We could easily switch this out. But you understand the principle immediately. Yeah, I would rather sleep in the rain than be around somebody who bitterly hates me and is constantly, constantly wanting to fight with me. Yeah, I will sleep outside, gladly. I will gladly eat worms, gladly. I will do whatever, just do not let me go back inside that house, please. That's the sense. How does it get that bad? How does it get that bad? People are selfish and arrogant, and they walk away from God's wisdom. That's how that happens. 
So notice, in this example, clearly the quarrelsome wife is the same one that would be in verse 7, that would be the same one in verse 6, would be the same one that has haughty eyes, walks away from God's wisdom, selfish, bitter at her husband, and is so quarrelsome that the husband says, I want out. I want out. This is the consequence of this. This is the consequence of rebellion. It is. This is the consequence. I don't want this. I don't want this for you. We don't want this for anybody. What's the solution? Is the solution that we get the right candidate in office and then he'll fix all of our houses for us because we voted him in? Is that the answer? It can't be the answer. It absolutely cannot be the answer. Is the answer just more people to show up to church? That can't be the answer. The answer has to be that God works in the human heart and works according to his word and convicts a person's heart and that the person would repent and in humility follow the Lord. That's the answer. Notice, notice the next thing. Notice how pervasive this is. Notice how pervasive this is. It says, the soul of the wicked desires evil. Soul of the fool desires evil. I, Paul says there's a part of every believer called the flesh. Guess what it wants? wants evil. We all have that. We all struggle with that. Desires evil. This is pervasive, right? It's not just a little. This is a lot. And notice what he does. He says, and his neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. Meaning, the person living close to him, he is so evil and desires to do evil that the people that live next to him, he's willing to hurt them. He's willing to harm them for himself. So as we think about this beautiful man on screen, Rousseau, one of the things that he taught the man is basically good. And what happens is we're corrupted because we move into cities. We're corrupted because we want things. Now, granted, I'm going to be honest, we would all say covet, to covet things, that's bad. To, to be greedy, that's bad. The Bible's totally against that. We, we, we shouldn't just, we should love people more than things. We should love God more than things. Of course, pure materialism is evil. He talked about the church, and he said the church is all about material things. Uh, Got to be honest, you walk around France at the time when he wrote, it would be really difficult for you to walk into a Catholic cathedral and go, these people really care about the poor right outside the church, right? We've all been in some of those places where there's enough gold and precious jewels on the walls that could feed the entire town for a year, and you go... Not 100% sure which verse they're following. I understand the critique. I'm not saying that, that he doesn't have some truth in his critique. But you know what his solution was? Man has to throw off the church. Man has to throw off all this stuff and go back to nature. Go outside and be, be yourself. You do you. That was his advice. You do you. Now, he said it a lot more eloquent than that. 
You see? That's exactly the type of description that we read that leads to destruction. Now, you may think Rousseau is harmless. He's not. This man's writing, you know what he started? The French Revolution. You know the cutting off of people's heads? You know what he started? The Russian Revolution. The Chinese Revolution. Right? This guy's ideas really affected people. And people really went that way. Don't go that way. Have a holy stubbornness. Now, I don't mean be belligerent. I mean you stand on God's word and you say, this is true. This is where I stand. These are the principles. And even if somebody comes up to you, like a Rousseau, who's really crafty with words and says things in a really eloquent way, and you say, I can't necessarily come up with an argument to combat that right off the top of my head, doesn't matter the word. That's a holy stubbornness. That's what we need to have. We live in a culture where there's new arguments coming up every single day. And to try to figure out every single one of those arguments and how to combat them is is impossible. Don't do that. Now, some of you may be smart and come up with some ideas on how to combat some of the major ideas that we see today. Amen. But our job is not to try to beat every single argument. Our job is to follow Jesus. Our job is to live like Christ would want us. Have a holy stubbornness. Don't be a rebel. Don't leave God's wisdom because somebody can talk really well. Stay true to the word. Stay true to Christ. Follow him. That's that's the way. There's no other way. But to be happy and blessed is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and follow him for the rest of our lives. May the Lord give us both the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we are so very thankful for Jesus. Without him, I I don't know where we would be. Well, I know where we'd be. We'd be this passage. We'd be living out this passage. I'm so very thankful that you saw fit to intervene in my life. You saw fit to show me the truth of your son. I am so very thankful that you've done the same to my brothers and sisters. I pray, Father, that we would seriously, seriously take, that we would take you seriously, and that we would have this holy stubbornness to, to follow you regardless of what the culture is doing. I I thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters that you've done the same thing in their life that you're doing in mine. I, I pray, Father, that we would continually follow you and seek to please you. I pray, Father, that you would uh, give us uh, a safe trip home, that you would allow us to have a, a good rest of the afternoon and then come back tonight to learn more about you and your word. We are so very, very thankful for Jesus, so very thankful for what he's done. It's based upon his work and his authority that we say. Amen.